1: Hello and welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well witches. On today's episode, we are talking all about hedge witchcraft. But to kick things off, we have our book review. And today's book is The Morrigan, Celtic Goddess of Magic and Might, written by Courtney Weber. Another book I'm in love with. This was recommended to me by a lovely lady on Instagram who knew that I worked with a Morrigan. I hadn't found this book at the time of doing the Morrigan episode but I believe it was only released last year and I don't think there is anything that differed from the core information I delivered on the podcast episode but this book just goes into so much more detail in relation to the breakdown of the goddesses most frequently associated with the Morrigan. So this comprises of Bab, Matcha and Morrigu aka Morrigan. So we touched on this in the Morrigan episode but just to expand a bit more the Morrigan is said to be one goddess but the Morrigan is one of several goddesses all associated with the Morrigan. One of the great paradoxes of the Morrigan. I have realized that most mythology in relation to the deities you can't think too hard on it just have to accept a lot of it otherwise you will just do your head in I will say, though, that this book opened up so much more for me in relation to the three sisters that the Morrigan is said to represent. And also more of the mythology and stories relating to the Morrigan, more of an explanation through the stories as to why certain animals are often linked to her and also the shape shifting aspects of the Morrigan. This book goes into such a deeper detail on everything and there was a lot more it provided me with than I'd been able to find through my own research alone. I was thrilled to read the section on working with the Morrigan as a wolf. Wolves for me have always been something I've been fascinated with. They show up in many areas in my life. I discovered that when we channel the wolf we channel our own fury to manifest or change so when we call upon the Morrigan within a wolf form, it's us like needing internal power and that seems to be a common theme for me and many of us when we opt to work with the morrigan so reading this book gave me some answers to one of the most terrifying experiences of my life so a while back when the morrigan first came up on my radar I was still struggling with like abusing alcohol I was also in a relationship that I was unsure about it just definitely made my relationship with myself and alcohol worse and I knew all of this, but I was struggling to just put the final now in the coffin. So one night that said partner was staying at mine and I had one of the scariest experiences I've ever had. To this day, I still struggle to know if it was a dream or something I saw as the two merged. So I dreamt of seeing a really terrifying old crone. She was really bent over in how she stood and she was standing in the corner of my bedroom It felt real. Like I was in the same spot in my bed, looking out in the dark into my room and I saw her and she just stood there staring at me, but I could not for the life of me scream, even though I could feel my body trying to get this scream out. I couldn't even turn to alert my partner. I was just stuck. I was frozen. And um, I couldn't do anything other than watch this terrifying crone just stare at me. So yeah, I appreciate it. it could have been like a night terror. But this was just like nothing I've ever experienced. It was like no dream I've ever had. I dream all the time. But the lines between a dream and reality were just so blurred. Everything was a reality except this woman. And, yeah, I mean, reading this book, I know that the Morrigan or the Morrigu, so one of the three sisters, she would appear as either a beautiful woman or an ugly old hag. So her hair can be black, gray, or red. The hag I saw, or crone as I prefer to call her, had gray hair, but she was like the most terrifying vision I've ever had. So there's a story in the book called The Washer at the Ford. And it is said that the Morrigan appears as the washer either to get our attention or to deliver a warning. And this warning may even portend a literal death. So the washer may also appear to offer a warning about our personal paths. And when the washer appears, it may be time to take stock of what isn't working in our lives. The washer may be warning us away from bad relationships, toxic work environments, or paths that are not right for us. If any of these feel extremely laborious or painful, the washer's appearance may be a sign that it's time to let it pass away. Quite often it will be obvious if the washer has appeared You'll see them in a startling dream or they'll manifest during a psychic moment. <laughs> so through reading the book, I also discovered that most women who work with a morrigan tend to be divorced or single or have had a lot of trouble finding the right partner. Sounds familiar. The book discussed how she's said to pick strong women to work with her or women who've been through a lot of emotional and physical troubles. She is said to choose people who don't necessarily believe in themselves, but who have a great deal of inner strength. She will push you to bring out the best in yourself, test you, and she picks people she knows won't crack. So an absolute wealth of content in this book that I hadn't picked up through my own endless research I love the rituals, meditations, spell work that is in the book. There's also some prayers that you can use. I know this book needs to live on my altar. Um, The prayers in the book are split throughout the day. So there's a morning prayer to matcha, midday prayer to morrigu, nighttime prayer to bab. If you already work with a morrigan or feel the call to, this book will be for you. It has definitely strengthened my confidence in working with her, but also in understanding other ways that I can. I love to know as much as I can about the deities that I devote myself to, and this really helps with that. Of course, not everyone works with deities, nor the Morrigans, so I appreciate this book not for everyone this week, but if you feel that call to work with her, please do read this join me after the break when we talk all about the hedge witch welcome back so just before we get into everything about hedge witchcraft i just wanted to talk to you briefly about some of the work that i do So on the podcast, we've talked about areas such as shadow work, but did you know that this is an area that I coach within and also run workshops on? Some of you know my backstory of working through addiction and trauma, and of course, the flip side of that, working through and being able to manifest a completely different life for myself. I truly have been on both sides of the fence, and I'm living a life I never dreamed I would now have. Similar to talking about the moragoon in the beginning of today's episode we're saying that she lived in several completely different lives within one lifetime. And that's how I feel my life looks after working through so much that was bogging me down. I like to consider myself as a shadow worker. So working through to bring the shadow into the light. I also believe that it's difficult to bring in that which we wish to see if we still hold the blocks and the weight of the past that at times we are unable to understand how to work through on our own. I offer coaching programs all online that are tailored to each individual, dependent on that which you wish to call in and that which you may have a need to work through. So within the service I offer, you can even interchange sessions with me as a coach to one with a therapist should you reach certain blocks that require the approach of a counsellor, ensuring you can healthily work through any areas. Reaching the end of 2020, this year has been tough and many of us have had a lot more time in solitude and also to realise that which we still want to achieve or let go of. So how would it feel walking into 2021 knowing you're already working through the past to bring in the new? Working with me in a coaching capacity, but moving away from the tried and tested clinical forms of coaching into a more witchy approach, where we will be able to weave the craft into your healing process, combining the practical forms of coaching, but building up your spiritual practices along the way. I also prescribe in between our sessions other resources that you might wanna take a look at. So spanning journaling points, dream analysis, books to read and spell or ritual work that might help you along the path. So I'm currently offering coaching sessions online at 12 weeks for 800 pounds. That's 12 weeks of one hour sessions and you can pay on a monthly basis too. If you are interested in working with me, drop me a DM on at the White Witch Company on Instagram or email me on carly at WhitewitchCompany.co.uk for a summary of my services that I can provide. I'm booking into January now. So in essence, you could start walking into 2021 knowing you're moving into your best life. You already know what I'm all about from the podcast, but I will offer you a free first consultation to make sure we both feel we are right to work with one another and we can take it from there. So let's get into hedge witchcraft, what we're really here for. A hedge witch is seen to mediate between spirits and people. They can be a walker between the worlds and have a connection to the veil. They're often focused on the element of earth, can be seen as shamanistic, maybe healers, charmers, herbalists, might work with spirits, work on hearthcraft, healing law, nature oriented magic and astral travel. Hedge witchcraft or hedgecraft is vaguely based on traditional European witchcraft. So it had been loosely based on the old ways of the old wise women and men, cunning folk, herbalists, healers, and witches throughout history. In essence, it's a solitary practice of the herbal arts, both medicinal and spiritual. Hedge witches may base their practice around Wicca. However, hedge witches are really present within any and many religious or spiritual backgrounds. So you would contact a hedge witch if you had a nasty rash or a toothache, but at the same time, if something went bump in the night in your home. Hedge witches usually don't belong to a coven and don't adhere to any tenets or any sect or organized religion. Their craft is said to usually be their own, often handed down to them by family and honed through their own research or experience. But I'm just giving you an outline of the different way that hedge witches are seen. Again, you may have hedge witches in this day that have just found this is in their nature and perhaps started out as the first within their lineage. So the name Hedge Witch comes from days of old when villages were separated by forests. The edge of a village where the forest began was called a hedge. And the hedge is said to also represent the boundary that exists between this world and the spiritual realm. So not all cultures would have had a hedge, some perhaps just a stone wall or earthen works, but nonetheless, the term is used to identify this path. So I also researched and found that the word hedge is translated from hagtes, which is H-A-E-G-T-E-S-S-E, an old English word meaning hedge rider. And this means between two worlds. So generally, if the doctor couldn't help the villagers or the village didn't have one, they would have turned to a hedge witch. Hedge witches today may or may not live near a forest, but may find themselves spending a lot of time there. Most hedgewitches have an affinity with nature and they will likely hone their skills in relation to understanding the medicinal and spiritual properties of everything that grows and they understand nature's balance. Hedgewitches will often use nature to deal in turn with natural problems and are said that they tend to have a remedy for everything under the sun, but much of it will have been prepared under the light of the moon. So wild witchcraft is said to be another form of the craft, very much like hedge witchcraft, but differs in that it's more primal, wild, and witches are more inclined to hunt, trap and fish, offering thanks for the animal's sacrifice and role in the circle of life. So in finding that, I also came across Powwow, another witchcraft path, which is folk magic associated with the Pennsylvania Dutch. It originated from European tradition, although its name, Powwow, was taken from the Algpongkwean tribe, murdering pronunciations. I'm so sorry, Algpongkwean tribe, meaning a gathering of medicine men, and it's said to be a variety of Christian spells, prayers, and simple rituals to cure simple domestic ailments and rural troubles. And then I also came across Appalachian granny witchcraft which originated in the Appalachian mountains in the 1700s by Scottish and Irish settlers who brought their European witchcraft traditions with them. As the settlers began to blend their magic with local Cherokee shamanism this tradition was said to be born and most common practices within Appalachian granny witchcraft are said to be working with the Fae, dowsing, healing, singing, and dancing. A little bit of extra information that nobody asked for, but I personally thought it was quite interesting. So hedge witchcraft is also related to hereditary witches, earth witches, and green witches. So for me, I feel a real affinity with the practices of a hedge witch from the herbalism aspect, but I'm also very interested in the shamanic side. In essence, the hedge witch prefers to work on their magic alone or with one magical companion. The spiritual tradition is for them to be in retreat from the outside world to focus on the inner worlds. And the solitary witch is said to find spiritual sustenance and inspiration from working alone in nature. I think many of us can resound with that. There is more of an emphasis on natural magic over elaborate rituals for the Hedge Witch. And with the Hedge Witch, it's also said that they can find all they need to cast spells from the hedgerows. So I guess this got me thinking about my path as a witch and also to understand what you witches like to do. See, I've always practiced alone. Uh, one of my very good friends, Jade, is a witch, but a lot of my friends close to me are more spiritual over witchy. So I've always carried out any rituals and spell work on my own, except for the odd four new moon ritual that I've carried out with one of my friends. I did nearly join a coven about five years ago, but I didn't feel it was the right path for me. Something with the energy of the coven fell off, as in nothing bad with them, just didn't really have a connection and at the same time, I guess I had way too many life responsibilities to commit to them properly. So I definitely see the benefits of a coven. I'd be really keen to hear from any of you regarding whether you are solitary or within a coven. If you aren't in a coven, I guess you could say that I am in a coven because I'm in the literary Witches coven and we read a book together every month. So a witchy book, and we cast the vote on which book that we'd like to read together. And at the beginning of the following month, we all get together online and we have a chat about the book and generally just lots of witchy chit chat. We're always cracking up over something. So if you want to join that, come on over to the White Witch Company on Facebook and you can join the group from there.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: I thought I would break it down, starting with the herbalism and healing aspect. So the hedge witch will often have a deep relationship with the plant kingdom. Plant spirits are referred to as devers or herbal allies and are extremely benevolent entities who are said to help facilitate healing and natural magic as well as supporting and nurturing the spiritual path of a solitary witch. Hedge witches grow herbs and other healing plants and use the most harmonious ways to harvest and store wild plants to enhance their magical and medicinal qualities. The magical plants is twofold. First, each plant contains vibrational healing and transformative qualities that can be used in spells or harnessed in therapies such as flower essences, using intuition and an understanding or awareness of their correspondences. All plants have medicinal properties that require more specialized knowledge. And a lot of hedge witches might choose to study homeopathy, medical herbalism, and aromatherapy to better understand the holistic process of healing. So many hedge witches may also keep natural objects such as crystals, incense, oil, and potions as they use these within their work, and will often be sensitive to the energy within them. So hedge jumping is seen to be a practice of the hedge witch. This is said to be venturing out of this world and into the other world. Some hedge witches have the ability to communicate with the spiritual world and can send messages between both worlds. Some hedge witches will practice astral projection, which is also said to be why the term hedge was also used as they could cross the boundary between this and the spirit world. So the flying on a broomstick legend also comes into play here. The misunderstanding that was based on hedge witches flying into the spiritual realm. However, I'm more inclined to believe in the more sex, drugs and rock and roll version of why the broomstick and witches were said to fly on them. This is linked to the hallucinogenic chemicals called tropane alkaloids made by plants, including atropa belladonna, which is deadly nightshade hyoscyamus niger which is henbane mandragora officinarum which is mandrake and datura stamonium, which is jimson weed so we cannot escape a podcast episode without some appalling pronunciations on my part during the middle ages parts of these plants were used to make brews ointments or witches salves for witchcraft So somewhere along the line, it was discovered that these hallucinogens could be absorbed through sweat glands in the armpit or via the lady parts or the butthole. Instead of eating the plants or drinking the extracts, you could bypass the first cycle of rapid metabolism by the liver. So basically, this would have stopped you from vomiting or feeling nauseous which would have happened if you drank or ate the plants. So instead, you would put the ointment onto the end of a broomstick (laughs) and insert into places already mentioned, but without any of the unsavoury side effects. So the flying came from the hallucinogens. They tended to cause sleep, but the dreams that followed would involve or could involve like flying wild rides or frenzied dancing So they would use the broomstick to usually mix up the concoction and the psychosensory experiences of flying were associated with the boiled up hallucinogenic plants, again, like being applied to those lovely parts. So in 1966, Gustav Schenk is said to have given a description of how this concoction affected him as follows. My teeth were clenched and a dizzied rage took possession of me. But I also know that I was permeated by a peculiar sense of well being connected with the crazy sensation that my feet were growing lighter, expanding and breaking loose from my own body. Each part of my body seemed to be going off on its own, and I was seized with the fear that I was falling apart. At the same time, I experienced an intoxicating sensation of flying. I soared where my hallucinations. The clouds, the lowering sky, herds of beasts, falling leaves, billowing streamers of steam and rivers of molten metal were swirling along. Okay, mate. So in Europe, in the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, bread was made in large part with rye and rye like plants can host fungus called ergot that can, when consumed in large doses, be lethal. But in smaller doses, it is a great hallucinogen. So records from the 14th to 17th century show Europeans with dancing mania who pranced through the streets, talking nonsense and foaming at the mouth until they would collapse from exhaustion. Those who experienced this mania would describe wild visions that accompanied it. Why do I just keep thinking of like, it sounds like going back to a 90s rave and someone staggering out from a field? But us witches back in our former lives certainly knew how to have fun. We were basically drug dealers without the two burner phones and pushing a German whip. You may already class yourself as a hedge witch, but there are some ways that you could bring some hedgecraft into your life. And I'm not talking about making up your own drugs. So you could try spending time in nature, your own garden, and learning more, identifying the plants, trees, and wildlife around you, observing the birds, insects, and animals, paying attention to any messages you might pick up in nature. It's worth also looking into the language of trees and the interconnection that they have with one another. There are some fascinating books and programs along those lines. I know that some of us live in more urban or suburban areas, and we might struggle with immediate access to nature, but you can still visit local parks, nature reserves, even graveyards to connect to the land. So don't forget, there is an episode of the podcast all about graveyards. So you might want to spend time in these places, again, observing nature, recording any animals, insects, and so on that you might come across. And anyway, with winter upon us, it is a good time to just be outdoors and connect with nature, especially from a grounding perspective, and to keep that seasonal adjustment disorder at bay. You might opt to work with the land through divination as speaking to spirits of nature, and pendulums can be a good form of divination whilst you are out in the world. Understanding more about the land and its history around where you live, are there like tragedies that occurred there, wars, illness or even positive events that took place on the land? The land carries memories of the past and who lived there before we did. What events took place before you even lived there? You might find yourself drawn to certain areas and might feel called to use your divination skills to see if you can speak with spirits of the land or spirits in general create a genius loci profile which is a section in your grimoire or book of shadows where you detail the land's spirits within your area. So any trees, plants, insects, birds, animals, landscape or climate within your hometown. This can help you understand the land's spirits. Every tree, insect, bird and plant is said to have a spirit which is something the hedge witch knows deep inside. Genius loci are known as spirits of place and rivers, wells and springs were guarded by powerful spirits. Mountains and caves were said to be the residence of the land spirits. It's open for debate on whether the ancient people believed that these were the actual spirits of the mountains or the rivers, or just spirits that lived and guarded these sacred places. We cannot ignore how many legends and folktales that exist from these ancient times that demonstrate that they believed in spirits of place and worshipped them. The genius loci were, to many of the ancient European people, gods. Many of the Celtic and Germanic gods and goddesses throughout law presided over sacred places. So nature before the spread of Christianity in Europe was incredibly alive, worshiped and honored by ancient genius loci cults in England. The most well-known of the old pagan cults were of course the Druids of ancient Britain. So they were a priesthood of the ancient Celtic tribes prior to Christianization of Europe. They worshiped the old gods in the groves of trees. They also gathered in these groves too. And some assumed that this was because nature was their temple, which is true. However, Druids worshipped the trees themselves too. Celts believed that the trees had spirits and the well-loved trees of the Druids include oak, ash, elder, yew, alder, hazel and apple. Oak in particular was a firm favourite of the Celts and Druids. So the word Druid stems from the Greek word for tree spirit, which is dryad. But anyway, back to hedge witchcraft. As you can see, it's all very interlinked. Another way you could honor the hedge witch within you is to grow native plants. I am a firm believer in using native plants anyway within my spell work, and I will often swap out and tailor different herbs for my spell work to that that is recommended to tie in with my native lands. So you might want to look into native plants to where you live and what their properties are in relation to herbal magic. But by growing native plants, you are also supporting local wildlife such as pollinators, so birds, butterflies, bees, and so on. Although we are in the depths of winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, you might want to start making plans that you can get started for in bulk on what you can grow or even start preparing, cutting back any land that you might have you can grow on. I purely grow in pots in a small courtyard garden. Don't ever underestimate tiny spaces. You can grow on balconies even window seals, like you don't have to have your own space of land. You can grow these herbs and of course you can use them within your craft. So another thing you might want to try, you might want to investigate if there are any local ley lines near to where you live and this is something that I want to have a look at. So ley lines are ancient sites on a map that we can draw straight lines between one like sacred location and another. So these lines end up forming a grid-like pattern across the entire world. Ley lines are said to be energetic roadways that the ancients honored and knew of and often marked with stone monuments and pagan temples. So our ancestors were said to be able to feel the magic and power emanating from these energy lines and marked them so that their spiritual and physical benefits could be drawn upon. Ley lines are mainly recorded in folklore and occult books and it is said that spirits are said to travel the earth in straight lines and these straight lines could be the ley lines. It is also said that the fae are known to travel along specified pathways too and in Britain and Ireland there are tales that point out fairy pathways across hills and over fairy bridges So these pathways are known as fairy paths and people are warned to not get caught on a fairy path if it's like during twilight hours or at night as the fae may carry them away. But it is also questioned if these fairy paths are also ley lines. Some believe that ley lines act as the open veins of mother earth, sacred sites where the earth opens up its source energy to us. And the vibration and energy of these places is said to be distinctively different. You can look up local ley line maps and see if you have them locally. If you find any local ley lines, you might want to treat this as somewhat a sacred journey if you go to see them. And some people prepare in accordance as they might with starting out on a ritual or spell work. So by ensuring that you've had a cleansing bath or shower, perhaps smoke cleansing yourself beforehand with the idea of being as spiritually clean as possible. So it's easier for the energy from the ley lines, like being easier to sense them. Divination on ley lines is said to be extremely powerful as a practice and something you might want to have a go at utilising, so like utilising that strong, sacred energy. You could use a pendulum to douse and you might find some high energetic charges along these ley lines. You could find that your pendulum swings vigorously at certain points and dowsing has long been used to find ley lines. You can communicate with spirits travelling along ley lines if you so choose, but you might want to cleanse yourself and your pendulum afterwards. You may opt to leave offerings for the spirits to show your gratitude, so make sure they are biodegradable such as flowers, eggs, organic fruits, so no nasties vegetables, herbs, and so on, or even sticks and stones and small items from nature. So hedge witchcraft has been an area I'm increasingly working on within recent months, and it builds on my green witchcraft practice, but it also gives me more uses for my herbs and plants. I originally wanted to train as a herbalist a while back, but I realised this is a very, very long full-time process. And for me, I've realised that I'm just happy to just research, understand the plants and herbs as part of my own work. But as part of looking at the hedge witch, I also recommend shamanic journeying as a means, in essence, to slip between different worlds. So I've been working on this in relation to soul retrieval. And this is following on from the shadow work that I have been doing because I felt that I'd worked through, I mean, shadow work is like a continuous process. Like there's always something to do at some point, different points of our lives. But I'd worked through a lot of my really old trauma. But he said that with trauma, you can leave parts of your soul behind. So you can even leave parts of you within former relationships perhaps like following a breakup or separation. So I've been working on shamanic journeying as a way of getting back some of my pieces following a separation. And the experience has been unreal. Like I'm in amazement at where it has taken me to, what I have learned, especially for me, someone who has real issues with meditation and grounding. I will add it in the show notes if it will let me, the link to a shamanic journeying meditation that I really recommend. And I'll put it on Facebook as well if you can't see it in the show notes, but I definitely think it's worth having a go at this. It is a fantastic process. Shamanism overall is a practice that involves a practitioner reaching altered states of consciousness in order to perceive and interact with the spirit world And channel these transcendental energies into this world. Shamanic journeying is the inner art of traveling to the invisible worlds beyond ordinary reality to retrieve information for change in any area of your life. I feel like this is another aspect we could get further into on a future episode. And a good friend of mine, Rachel, is trained as a shamanic healer. So I have been badgering her to see if she might come on the show to discuss further. So I hope this all gave you good insight into the path of the Hedge Witch. Once again, thank you all for your support. I'm so grateful for the reviews on Apple. If you have left me a review, thank you so much. If you haven't and you're happy to, I'd be so grateful. It means that more people can find the show. Aside from that, you can get in contact with me on Instagram at The White Witch Company and over Facebook on The White Witch Company have a great week, witches. I will catch up with you all soon. Lots and lots of witchy love.